We are continuing in the book of Jeremiah. We are almost done with the book of Jeremiah. We have three more weeks. It's been a year. I think it's been a little over a year that we've been doing Jeremiah. It's a long book. And so we're concluding with looking at some prophetic acts in Jeremiah. The prophets not only use their words to convey messages, they also use their bodies. They also use symbols. They saw what was around them and listened for the word of the Lord and said, and sometimes God would drop some kind of idea or a parable or some kind of parallel into their mind and into their heart. And so they would communicate the truth of God to the people of God through the means of God. And sometimes that means means using some kind of symbol, some kind of act that they would do. So last week, Jay talked about uh, nudity, nakedness, um, about the loincloth in Jeremiah. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about two brief stories, which are pretty straightforward, uh, but they both have to do with the symbol of wine, the symbol of wine in, in the scriptures. And uh, next week, I believe Barry is doing one on the siege of Jerusalem. Followed by that, we're going to have some letters to Cornerstone, and then Ascension Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, and then we will be done with Jeremiah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Love Jeremiah. I'm ready also to, to, to keep moving, to keep moving. It'll be good. So um, as we think about um, wine today, I want to tell you a brief semi-embarrassing story about, about myself. So 10 years ago, Naomi and I went into um, China for three months or so. And while we were there, uh, Naomi was doing her English as a second language degree, and we knew people there. We knew all kinds of, uh, we had contacts, so we didn't actually need to learn the language, um, which would have been helpful. Um, but we g- were able to go there, and while we were there, we went into the countryside of China to visit a adopted grandma, almost, of one of our friends, who is the woman in the middle. Um, is Naomi in yet? No, she's probably with the kids. I can't remember what her name is. But during this time... We were in the rice fields, and we were um, harvesting rice for them. Great. Had probably, I don't know, a four-mile trek uh, to get up to the mountainside in China. Jake, can you open this for me? Do you know how to open a bottle of wine? <laughs> and um, during that time, you know, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we were just... Uh, uh, riding on a bus and then hiking all over the place. And then we get in and it's time for dinner, except it's not like time for dinner where all of a sudden there's food there and voila, like they have to, they have to make it. And they, their culture was also very, um, not slow, probably appropriately paced in how they did things. So it wasn't like rush, 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 talking, coming back, doing some other stuff. And they only had one uh, bowl for both drink and food. And so what ended up happening is I had this bowl that I was given, and when I was given this bowl, um, she put some liquid into it. I was just like, oh, what's, is this, this is water to parch my thirst. And actually what it was, it was like three-year-old rice wine, which was fantastic, but it was also like rubbing alcohol. <laughs> and so here I am, empty stomach, um, w- just work, sweating everything. Uh, they didn't have, like, clean water there. They had water at, for certain things, but not just to drink. And so this was the best thing. And it was also, like, this hospitable thing. They've been saving this for special guests, which we happen to be. And so she fills up my, my bowl of, of, uh, that was for eating and drinking with this rice wine. And to get food into my stomach, I needed to finish the rice wine in there. Except this lady was like a ninja. And so, like, oh, the rice is ready. So I take it. I drink it. It tastes good put it down, I swear, just for like 
four seconds, I turn my back to get some kind of food, and she's there in the back with this kind of ninja move, dumping more rice wine into my cup. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, um, you know, disrespectful and be like, no, thank you, and throw it. You know, that would have been very rude of me to do that. But let's just say at that place, unintentionally, I might have gotten a little giggly in the countryside of China as I was there um, speaking to people that I didn't know. And it was a fun time, but it was also one of those times where I lost control a little bit, even unintentionally. Nothing weird happened. But I always, whenever I think of wine and the use of it, I always remember that time that um, somebody made me unintentionally drunk in, in, hos- in, in a hospitable way. You know, So I always remember that story as I think about wine. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about wine in a couple different contexts. Now, wine means different things to different people. Today is not a moral treatise on anything to do with uh, alcohol. Um, don't get drunk. It's okay to drink wine. If you are somebody that struggles with alcoholism, you have the power of the Spirit to say no to that. And we also need to be aware of other people that we're around at times um, so that we're not leading people into temptation, but we also can't be plagued by everybody else's voices. So that's all of the moral stuff that I'm going to talk about today. This isn't about wine in that way or anything like that. So let's put all that stuff to the side and, and continue on. Uh, what today is about, though, in this use of wine, there's two distinct pictures um, that I want us to think about as we're thinking about these stories of wine. The first one is that there is this cup right in the middle of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah has about 52 chapters, and in Jeremiah 25, there's this cup that talks about the Lord's wrath. The wine of the Lord's wrath is coming. Now, from a historical standpoint, what is the wine of the Lord's wrath? What nation? What? what? Babylon. Good. Yes, Babylon. And so... And so Jeremiah is using this imagery, or God's actually using this imagery, that I'm going to fill up this cup of wine that's going to be foaming over with my wrath, and I'm going to pour it out on all the people that I send you to, Jeremiah, because they are idolatrous, they're sinful, over and over and over again. In my love and grace and compassion, I have come to these people to ask them to repent. Remember, repent, shub, is one of those big words in Jeremiah where over and over again, God comes to his people in grace and compassion, saying, this is not good for you. This is not good for us and our relationship. The way that you're worshiping and the things that you are attaching yourselves to and clinging to are actually hurting your brothers and sisters. And you think you're okay, but you're not okay. And at some point, my judgment in a very real way is going to come. Because I am a God that is a jealous God, Yahweh is saying this, and I will have a people that are a pure people, I will have a people that worship me alone. And I'm dedicated to work with creation and humanity in this project of these image bearers until that happens. And so God in his love for us is both very compassionate and merciful and yet also very firm at times. Very, very firm. And so one of the images we get in Jeremiah and the scope of Jeremiah is this. Take away, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. If they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, tell them the Lord says you must drink. So this isn't even an option. This isn't even an option, symbolically speaking, that this wine is going to be served to these nations, including Jerusalem, including Israel, and they don't actually have a choice to drink it or not. Unless they repent, and this this theme is always here, like right up until the actual 
uh, destruction of Jerusalem. There's always like repent, 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 turn your ways, actually give yourself over to the Babylonians and it'll go better. No, we need to fight against them. No, you're not listening to what I am saying, Yahweh says. And so Yahweh's wrath is going to be poured out through the means of Babylon and then eventually through the means of Persia that overtakes Babylon and all this other stuff. So that's one thing, this kind of negative connotation of wine. There's also this cultural connotation um, in the ancient Near East with wine, which we can see in the reverse order here. So Jeremiah 48, it's a, it's a prophecy against Moab, one of, um, at the time, one of Jerusalem's enemies, right? And so in Hebrew parallelism, what we see here is that gladness and joy are connected to what? If you read this. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I have made the wine cease and the wine presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. The shouting is not the shout of joy. So joy and gladness, what is it paralleling there? Wine. And so here the judgment is that there is no wine, right? The fruitful land is not actually producing fruit. We're not there, the, the wine is ceasing. The wine presses are actually no more. And so there's this Hebrew parallelism here saying that because the wine isn't there, the joy isn't there, the gladness isn't there. And so there's this symbol of wine and the symbol of gladness and joy that are connected into um, uh, the ancient Near Eastern culture. And wine is one of those things that you need to be stable to produce, right? If you just produce juice, if you just produce some kind of grape juice, you can just go crush that, drink it, right? But what does wine um, need to actually become wine? It needs time. And you can't be running around. You need some kind of stability, some kind of prosperity, some kind of protection in order to actually cultivate wine. And so when we see that there's no wine, there's no wine presses, that means there's, no t- there's actually no time because you're running around like crazy trying to take care of other stuff rather than being able to be in some kind of restful, peaceful place where this juice can then ferment and turn into wine. So joy and gladness are connected with wine, and yet also what we see at the top is that there's this wine, this cup of God's wrath that's also connected to wine. And I think where these two things come together in Jeremiah is the fact that we, God desires to give us his joy. God desires to give us his gladness. God, in the appropriate way, which this term is so malformed right now, desires for us to be prosperous. I'm going to use that in air quotes. That doesn't mean we don't suffer. That doesn't mean God desires goodness for his people, even though sometimes that looks like pain and all this other stuff. The problem is, is that oftentimes we become self-reliant and we forget. So where God would give us this joy and gladness, we take this good thing, as we do in the modern era, And we take this good thing and we turn it into some kind of ultimate thing or we forget about who gave us the good thing. So we worship the the creation rather than the creator. So there's these good things that God gives to us. We make them ultimate things, which actually ends up being what then? Idolatry. That we idolize these things. And this isn't just with, you know, the idea of joy and wine. But what's going on here is that some of the people in Jerusalem right before, in fact, a lot of people going up to the exile were actually really happy. We're actually really prosperous. And they would have said, well, what's, I mean, the Lord's, I mean, we're, we're doing good. You know, money's kind of flowing in. Yeah, there might be some social issues, but we got this racket on the side where we get to worship whatever gods we want. We get to have great, uh, you know, orgies and stuff like that. That's fun. We get to do all these things and, you know, we're, we're kind of happy. 
But again, it's something that's not centered in Yahweh. It's something that's not centered there. And so the very thing God that God gives us in our goodness, whether it's wine or whatever you want to put there, when we make that into idolatrous thing, he's, he's not going to just let that be. And so the people are actually prosperous before the exile, that there's stuff going on that is good. Yes, we're excited. We're doing this stuff. And yet they're not seeing the truth and the reality of what's around them. They're not taking notice or hearing Jeremiah, the fact that this worshiping of other gods is not okay. That actually how you treat the poor and the outcast and everybody that's not like you is not okay. And this is said and this is written in Deuteronomy. And I'm also speaking to it to you as Jeremiah, and yet you will not listen and you will not obey. So if you, if you turn to the back of your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, Here's how uh, good old Walt, a commentator for Jeremiah, says, says all this. In our own time, Jeremiah speaks eloquently against the ideology of autonomy, you know, a law unto ourselves. So when you hear autonomy, hear a law unto yourself. You get to make up the rules. So powerful in modernity, in our day and age, against our notions of holding uh, initiative for our life, and our mistaken notion of being self-starters, of being self-starters. Our refusal to have our life given or derived from another, read God there, is a core pathology in our time, as in the days of Jeremiah. Meaning like, I am self-sufficient. I can make what needs to happen, go and of myself. I can create the rules. I can create the life. I can do all this. That's the cultural narrative that we're always fed every day. Just watch a commercial, and you will hear that. For there to be a voice outside of ourselves that speaks something to us that we would actually hear is not part of our culture. And it wasn't part of Jeremiah's. Modernity has scuttled not only the tradition rooted in the scroll, so the scriptures, but the large notion that authority which permits life can be and must be rooted in another who both gives and commands. God both gives us good things and also commands properly in freedom and in his love how we should interact with those things, right? Yeah. Indeed, the summons to listen is for us, the summons to break with the most foundational presuppositions of modernity, of our day and age. One can make a quite concrete case that in many places in the world, there's a savage loss of land and loss of power where the ruling group has imagined itself to be a law unto itself, autonomous, and has failed to listen either to the requirements of God's justice or to the hurts of God's people. And so just as in Jeremiah's time, the big key thing is, are we listening to what God is saying? And anytime we as people, whether it's in our culture or whether it's in our group or whatever, are given a place of prosperity, that are given a place of privilege, that privilege also needs to be connected with our responsibility in that privilege. We are not just given privilege for ourselves to gaze in on ourselves. We're not just given power to feel powerful and feel good about ourselves. But in order for that privilege and that power to actually go out from us, to love others, to help others, and also to go back towards the God that gave it to us, to worship him in truth and holiness and beauty. And that's cool, and that's one thing as we're praising the Lord on a Sunday morning, but what about all the other days in our week? How is our privilege and how is our excitement about the, the Spirit of the Lord being with us 
going out and are we listening and obeying the Lord in those places? And that's kind of what Jeremiah is getting at in these two stories. So with that being said, if you want to take your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. I have two verses. And then we have another story that we will recap. Jeremiah 13, verses 12 and 14. You shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every jar shall be filled with wine. If your translation there says wineskin, just put jar there instead. And if you have a question about why it should be that, ask me later. It's not important now. Every jar shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, do we not indeed know that every jar will be filled with wine? And so Jeremiah is asking this question via the Lord. You know, every jar should be filled with wine. And it's kind of like, no, duh. That's their response. Of course, the jar is supposed to be filled with wine. Like, what else would you use a wine jar for? Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land. The kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. Pretty rough words, right? And, and those are the words. There's not some kind of, well, if we uh, see this a phrase in the Hebrew and it means something else. No, it means that. It means that. Like, it's, it's, it means what it says. And again, Jerusalem and Israel has come to this point in time when the exile is going to happen. And even through all this and all of these warnings, there's this, I'm not going to have compassion. And yet in the back, there's kind of like, but if you repent to try to drive home the point, like, I'm not kidding, Jerusalem. I'm not kidding, Cornerstone. That like, I mean this, God is saying. And so that drunkenness that is going to be filled in the land is Babylon, right? Which we talked about. How the drunkenness is actually going to be, there's going to be mothers and fathers that turn against their children. If you were here for Lamentations, there's going to be this horridness where um, families are eating one another, where babies are being stripped out of the womb and eaten. All of this horrid stuff that you'll get to hear more about next week in Siege Warfare that's going to happen. That maybe God directly isn't bringing upon, but he's removing his presence because they don't want his presence. And then things are just going to happen that happen. And Babylon is going to come in because they did not listen. And Babylon is going to destroy Jerusalem and take it over. There's not a lot to talk about in that text except for to hear that. And again, we're not in the same place as Jerusalem. We're on this side of the cross, but we need to also hear that word. I do want you to think, jumping off in a more spiritual direction, so every jar shall be filled with wine. And they say to you, do we not indeed know that every jar shall be filled with wine? And again, it's kind of that that duh moment. But here's the point, is that we as people are meant to be filled with something. That we are containers of something. Okay, so, um, so, so what? Uh, this could be a couple of things, but what is this? This isn't trick questions. Wine glass. What is this? Just so everybody knows, this is milk in here. 
forgot milk. My wife brought me milk. This is milk. What is this? Let's say a water, yeah, thermos. But let's say water bottle, because that goes along with my illustration more. Water bottle, okay? So, so there's water bottle. So what is this again? What is this? That's right, Niles. What's this? All these containers, by definition, are meant to be filled with something. They are created to be filled with something. Okay? So now, um, we could put, this is a what again? This is water. We could, sure, this is, I mean, I don't know how many people at home drink their water out of wine glasses all the time, at restaurants and that kind of stuff. Cool. But I don't know how many people, maybe you do, I don't want to, I don't want to, I see a couple of people like, no, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> um, so this is a wine glass filled with water. That's, it's not what it's made for, okay. Uh, one of the things I love to do, Naomi and I have been doing insanity at the gym, uh, Monday nights, 5.30, no, 6.15. Whoever wants to join us, seriously, you should join us. One of the things I love to do after working out for an hour is fill my, is fill my uh, water bottle with good old milk. Man, I'm sweating. Water bottle's been sitting over there for 45 minutes. I just love to open this sucker up. I just love to chug it back, and it's so refreshing. Do you think I actually do that? <laughs> what, what is this again, the container? What's it made for? What's in it? Milk. You can, you can do it, sure. You know, I don't know how old this milk is, so I'm not going to drink it. You can do that, sure. However, so this is like, okay, whatever. This is a little bit more disgusting, you know what I mean? If you think about being hot and sweaty and I just want to down some, some whole milk. Mmm. That, that seems like that'll sit really well. But then we also have, what's this? And what's this? Is a baby bottle supposed to be filled with wine? If I was drinking wine out of a baby bottle, what would you think of me? Much worse, what would you think if my kids don't do bottles anymore, if I gave my, my twins, right, a bottle filled with wine? Well, it's a ba- it's a, it says it's a baby bottle, so whatever you put in it, you can just go ahead and give to the babies. So let me reiterate my point. You are meant to be filled with something. We as image bearers are meant to be filled with something. And oftentimes we are not filled with the right thing. So what are we to be filled with? Here's some of the, here's some, here's some things. So actually the um, uh, Romans one talks about how um, the ungodly, which we all have been a part of that, are filled, so these are all words that are associated with filled, are filled with unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. Do you think God desires us to be filled with those things, though? No. Non-exhaustive list. Here are some of the things that God desires us to be filled with. He desires us 
created us, made us the container. And when I say that, don't think like the separation between body and spirit kind of junk. Just think generically, symbolically. Like we are this container that he has made to fill with something. Joy and peace, the fruit of righteousness, the fullness of God. We are made to be filled with the fullness of God. We are meant to be filled with glory. We are meant to be filled with goodness and knowledge of God's will. And so again, taking symbols, both practically and um, spiritually speaking, there's also the other thing where Paul says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, be not filled with wine. Remember our story, but rather be filled with what? The spirit. The spirit. You are made as an image, contain, image bearer container to be filled with the image and the spirit of God. You as an image bearer are made to be filled with the spirit of God. And here's one of the, 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 the things that I think we kind of get wrapped up in. It's just like, well, I don't necessarily, um, I'm not l- looking to be filled with those other things. And so you can also be filled with emptiness. Have you ever thought about that? You can be filled with emptiness. I know it kind of doesn't make sense linguistically and that kind of stuff, but think about that. If there's nothing inside of you, what are you full of? Don't say crap. You're, you're full of nothingness. You're full of emptiness. And this in part is part of what Jeremiah's uh, people, the, the people of God then were experiencing, right? Because they had what kind of idols? They had vain idols. They had empty idols. They had idols that really could not fill them, except they were filling them. But what were they filling them with? Nothingness. It even says when uh, Jeremiah speaks against the prophets, the false prophets, being like these prophets and these priests and these kings, they come to you and they say these kind words. They say, comfort, comfort, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Go back to how your lives are. And they actually are filling the people with what? Vain hopes, empty hopes. So yeah, we might think that um, in and of ourselves and all that, yeah, well, I'm not filled with unrighteousness. I'm not filled with evil or malice, maybe. But then there's also the question we need to ask God, like, am, am I filled with emptiness? Or am I actually filled with these other things? And again, this isn't something that you crank out. This isn't like, okay, well, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to get some joy. It's in aisle 14. I'm going to go ahead and dump it into myself. And I'll be good. Thanks, Niles. It's a work of the Spirit, but what are we made to, as image bearers? We are made to be filled with God's image. Everybody got that? Baby bottle, wine, not okay. Kids, if you have, grow up and get married and have other kids, don't do that. Don't say, well, my pastor one time filled up a baby bottle with wine, so I thought it was okay. So those who are made in the image of God are designed to be filled with the Spirit of God. Next story, if you want to turn your Bibles, Jeremiah 35. I'm going to summarize the first part of this. Again, wine has to do with Jeremiah 35, and then we'll read the text to listen to the text. So the Rechabites are this tribe of nomads. One of their forefathers a long time ago said, you know what, I want you to do these things. I want you to not drink wine, I want you to not plant vineyards. I don't want you to have houses. I don't want you to cultivate the land. I want you to be nomads. I want you to roam around, which makes sense because what did we say that for wine to actually become wine, what is needed? 
time and a, and a sense of settledness, right? So, of course, they're not going to have wine, especially if they can't make it themselves, but there's also they're not going to drink wine from other places. So one of their forefathers of the tribe said this, and they followed it. Neither their kids, uh, the husbands, wives, anybody has done this, has drinking wine, and they're nomads. Now, however, they're in the city, and they're in the city because Babylon is attacking. They need to go somewhere where they think they can find some kind of safety, some kind of place where they will be safe and secure. So they come in here, and that's why they're in here. While they're in here, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, you know what? Go to the leaders of that clan and invite them to the temple. Invite, this to the, invite them into this temple, into the, into the side room, and invite the leaders of Jerusalem to come. And I want the leaders of Jerusalem to come, and I want the, the Rechabites to come, and I want you to set before them wine these jars, glasses of wine, and I want in front of everybody for you to ask the Rechabites who do not drink wine to drink wine. What do you think the Rechabites did? Just what do you think? I mean, if you don't know. No? Did anybody think yes? Yes, thank you for saying that. No, you're wrong. (laughs) And they didn't drink it. They said, we can't, we made this vow with our forefathers and we've kept it this whole time. We've listened to our forefathers, and we have not drinking wine. Uh, we're nomads. We have not planted. We have not cultivated. We have not. We live in tents. We're um, Amish almost, except roaming Amish. Kind of weird, right? And the thing is, is that the, this tradition is is it's not counteractive to the commandments of God, but it doesn't seem to quite fit. Whereas in other places, God tells his people, no, you need to go and inhabit the land. You need to be there. So there's kind of this like, this isn't from God, but we're going to listen to this. And things have gone well for us, and that's fine. So they say no to drinking the wine, and then this is what Jeremiah says, why I ask them to drink the wine, all this other stuff. Jeremiah 35, verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his son. So he's the one that set up this tradition that the Rechabites uh, are following. To drink no wine has been kept. And they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. Remember, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them, but this people, my people, have not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. But to the house of the Rechabites, 
Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and have done all that he commanded you. Now he's saying this, but remember, the other people are listening to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. So God here is not, again, let's divorce the the quote-unquote moralism with wine and all of that. What he is doing here is he's making this parallel that this tribe that's kind of weird, I'm comparing this kind of weird tribe to you, Jerusalem, to Judah. They got a command, a vow, a precept from a forefather, okay? And they have obeyed it to the T. You, my people... I have been telling you my commands for 500 years. And I am your father and you have not listened to me. And there's this comparison going on here about the biggest thing you should hear about in this is that word here and listen and obey. And he's setting up this parable, this parallelism, where how comes it's easy for us to listen to traditions, but then really hard for us to actually listen and hear and obey the word of God. And so in Jeremiah's time, he's saying, Jerusalem, you haven't listened to us, and all this disaster is going to come. And yet to the Rechabites, who have listened to our forefathers, who, that doesn't, that's not even the point. He's saying that you will always have a man to stand before me. What does that mean? In the exile, death happened in the exile. Whole lines of families were wiped out. There are no more boyers after the exile. There are no more McCumbers after the exile. There are no more this group and that group after the exile because of that destruction. But he promises these other people who have obeyed and listened that you will continue on. And so do you hear kind of in the background what he's saying? That if you will actually listen to your real father, if you will actually obey your heavenly father, that even though this destruction is coming, the spiritual heritage and all this other stuff will continue on. And so what we need to be thinking about in our day and age is just that simple word of listening and obeying. Where are the traditions in our lives or the family values in our lives or the political values in our lives or the stuff that's been handed down that might even be good? And and we actually are really committed to following those things. And yet we hear the word of the Lord. We read the word of the Lord and we're like, eh, like, what is that? Have we traded the commandments of God for the traditions of men, even when those traditions are okay? But are we tuning our ears to actually hear what the Lord is speaking to us and obeying that above all else? Above all else. Joy, team, you guys can come back up. Where are we listening to human-made values and traditions while ignoring the word our Heavenly Father is speaking? And it's funny because the written word came to the people. It's, it's funny how prof, prophets work. Prophets, to some degree, all they're doing is reminding people of the written word. All of this stuff was already in Deuteronomy that was being said about don't worship other gods, don't do this, don't do that, and it will go well with you. And yet the people rejected the written word, and so what does God do? He sends his prophetic word in to speak directly to the people. But then the people are rejecting the prophetic word too. And there's just this hardness of heart and unwillingness to both hear, receive grace, be like, you know what? This judgment is hard, but it's also good. 
And it aligns me with the Father's heart who deeply, I know, even though it doesn't make sense, loves me in all the junk that I'm participating in, both as an individual and in culture. But will I repent? Will we repent in that space? So Jesus had... Um, Jesus had a couple interactions with wine, which we're not going to get into. Um, one of the, two of the ones I do want us to think about, though, as we go towards the communion table, is the fact that on the cross, Jesus was, was hung. And what was one of the things that some of the people, whether it was soldiers or the women there, offered him? Sour wine. Uh, this is actually called in Greek culture posca. I, I think I'm uh, calling that right. And what it is, it's wine mixed with uh, other things, maybe some herbs, some vinegar, um, sometimes it was, myrrh was added to it and all that stuff. Soldiers actually were commanded by the Roman Empire at that time to drink it every other day to help with their stomachs and to help with any kind of illness that was going on. It was also used medicinally, which is probably what was trying to happen there, where they were offering uh, Jesus this wine to kind of dull his pain a little bit. But did Jesus drink it? He didn't drink it. And the text doesn't say this. The text hints at this. Um, I, the reason I don't think he... There's multiple reasons why he didn't drink it. One of the reasons I think he didn't drink it was because he was already drinking from a cup at that point. If you remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was there. He was talking with um, the father. They had, he had some of his boys there, some of his disciples And he went off, and what did he ask? What did he ask the Father? He said, Father, if there's any way, let this what? Cup pass from me. Went back a second time. Lord, I don't want to drink of this. Father, I don't want to drink of this. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Went back a third time and said the same words. Really great place of um, the fullness of Jesus' humanity and vulnerability and how he was honest with his father, and yet also in his humanity and connection with his father, continued the plan of redemption. So what is that cup? I think in some aspects, it was that cup that was being talked about in Jeremiah 25, that cup of wrath, right? Except this cup of wrath that was poured out uh, with Babylon, there was also this spiritual component to it that needed to be dealt with. Deep inside, this transformation kind of a thing. And so in the spirit realm symbolically, however you want to say that. Jesus didn't take of the sour wine that was offered to him because he was already drinking from another cup. He was drinking of that cup of wrath that the Father was giving to him for our sake. Because all of this stuff just comes in at the cross. There's, when, was, when was the crucifixion? What Jewish holiday happened at the crucifixion? Pass, Passover. Which is connected to what story? major story in the Bible? The Exodus. And so there's this exodus language happening, but there's also this exile language happening, connecting back to Jeremiah and the other prophets. And it's not going to be the people that are exiled. It's going to be God himself that's exiled from God himself. Try to figure that one out. But he was taking on the fullness of exile in that place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For us because of the Father. We need to remember, as, as we go to the communion table and think about these things, we need to remember one thing, that th- there wasn't like this good Jesus and this evil, wrathful, um, vi- vindictive Father God that were kind of going at each other and were like, well, you do this, and then I'll, then I'll love them. 
that creation involves all of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Redemption includes all of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the mission sentness of us as the church includes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's not a disconnect between the Father and the Son here. It's not like God is some mean God trying to get his way. He is a just God. He is a holy God, like we sang earlier. But he's also this God that loves us and is willing to to go to whatever degree in order to redeem his people and transform them. And the son's on board with this. He's like, do I need to take this drink? Do I need to? He's like, yes, I do. Peter gets up. People are coming to take Jesus away. Peter comes up. He's like, draws his sword. And he's like, let's go to town. You're You're not taking Jesus. You're not taking the Messiah. And yet Jesus says to Peter, he's like, back off probably after he chops off somebody's ear and it's healed. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And this deep connection with trying to understand the Father's will and the plan of redemption and and the saving of our souls and the transformation by the Spirit of who we are and of all creation is coming together here on the cross. And so as we sing songs, we purposefully combine two songs today. One of them is Jesus, thank you, where we're like thanking Jesus for what he's done. Like the wrath of God is satisfied. You drank this cup for me. But we're also singing how deep the Father's love for us in the midst of that. Because these aren't separate beings, this Trinity. This Father, Son, and Spirit are working together in your life and in our lives and in the church life and in the world to bring upon redemption and new creation every single day. And we can't divide them because if we divide them, we're going to be divided in ourselves. We're going to be divided amongst our church and all of that. So as you come to the table today, Tim and Naomi will be serving you. Come and remember the cup that Jesus offers you and remember the cup that he drank. Come and remember that that was filled with pain and suffering and love and compassion and graciousness. All of those things wrapped up together. Remember his body broken. Remember that the Christian life does not stop at the cross, but that it continues on in the resurrection and in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Remember the sincere wrath and justice of God, and yet how he took that wrath and justice upon himself so that all of humanity, this, this, his image bearers, wouldn't be destroyed in the things that we choose, but because of his love wanting to bring upon this new creation. As you go to the table, remember these words. This is from Colossians chapter 1. And you, cornerstone, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard. So yeah, we don't live under the law anymore, but we do live under the gospel. And the one thing we come to this table and in our Christian lives with is the faith in what Jesus, the Son of God, did, empowered by the Holy Spirit in the will of the Father. That's all we can bring. Nothing else that you do. If you play an instrument, if you sing well, if you're doing really good in social justice areas, all that stuff. I'm not saying that stuff's unimportant. But that's, that's a fruit, right? Of this in 
indwelling of this being poured into by the grace of God. And so we don't come to this table as people that have everything figured out. We come to this table as broken people that have faith and believe in the Son of God and the forgiveness of sins and the sending of the Holy Spirit. So don't come to this table thinking you are unworthy because you are unworthy. That's the point. And God is making you worthy. God has made you worthy through Christ Jesus. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, God has now reconciled in the body of the flesh of Christ's death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Jesus, thank you for um, your word towards us, um, both in the scriptures, but then also just your word that is alive and active today. Um, and these, these, this bad four-letter word of obey, um, reform us and to know that you calling us to obedience is part of your love. And help us to see the fact of what you have already done so we don't go and do all of this quote-unquote good stuff, these good works without seeing that. But help us also not just stay there. Send us, God. In the grace of who you are, send us into the world, into our neighborhoods, into our families, that we wouldn't be ingrown. Help us to be, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us not with these other things. Discipline us in your love. We welcome your judgments, God, because your judgments are good. And we rest in your grace. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, um, when the Spirit came, there was a bunch of crazy stuff that was happening. Wind blowing, fire balls of tongues or something. And um, people that were watching it, watching the Spirit of God come, thought many different things. One of the things they thought in mockery, they said, oh, these people at 9 a.m. are filled with new wine. And all throughout the scripture, there's these mocking words that are said, but that are also somehow true. And we are filled with new wine, the wine of the Holy Spirit. So my brothers and sisters, a cornerstone as you go out today, be not drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are image bearers of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen and amen.